Hello, welcome to the Equippers International Podcast. We are on our journey through the book of Hebrews together, and we are starting chapter 13. When I started this study over a year ago, I never imagined that it would take us this long, nor would it be this extensive, but it's been a great journey together through the book, and I'm so glad that we could do it, and I hope it's been beneficial for those that have been listening So we're going to start the last chapter in this episode. I'm going to read from verses 1 through verses 6. Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. And the bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Well, the writer is pressing on in this time of practical encouragement to his readers. We saw in the previous episodes when we got into chapter 12 that like many New Testament epistles, this letter kind of transitioned to a much more practical exhortation to the readers. It's a very theologically dense book, Hebrews. That's why I think a lot of people historically steer clear of it because it has so many deep theological truths, but I think we've picked our way through those in a life-giving way and really brought to light what it is the author is trying to communicate to his readers and making application for our own lives, I think has been extremely beneficial. But now, even more so, we're going to move into a very practical section where the writer is going to begin to encourage his readers, because here's a very important point. All theological truth must ultimately end in practical expression of living. I always say, if your theology doesn't work, then it's not very good theology. And so the writer is going to tell his readers that as a result of all the great things they have in Christ compared to their old Jewish religion, he's saying that because of these great benefits, our lives should look different. I love how he starts chapter 13, verse 1. Let love of the brethren continue. The greatest characteristic of the Christian life is love. It's always going to express itself in an other-centered selfless expression of love. And this starts for all the New Testament apostolic writers in an understanding that the love of God expresses itself within the body of Christ. Obviously, we're to love everyone, but the love continues for the brethren and for the sisters. There is a unique bond that Christians share with one another, and it expresses itself in a love that sacrifices sacrifices and gives. And so he's going to go through in this chapter and talk about how this holy love expresses itself toward other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. 
Now, again, it's not that he's saying don't show love for people in the world, but there is over and over an emphasis on us showing love towards one another in the body. And this is going to become more clear as we go through this passage and like it is in so many other passages in the New Testament. So in verse 2, he talks about the first way that we show love, and that is to not neglect showing hospitality to strangers. By this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Now, the writer's probably alluding to the fact that in the first century, as people moved around from different places, there was not a network of wholesome hotels and motels like we experience in our world today. Most of those places were very shady at best, and a lot of them were just flat out immoral places like brothels and prostitution. And so when people traveled, it was very difficult to find accommodation and especially those in the body of Christ as they move from city to city and place to place, they would be strangers to people in other places. And the writer says, don't neglect showing hospitality to these people because when you do... It's even as though you might be entertaining angels. Now, we know there's several examples in the Old Testament where angels visited people's homes. And the writer is just stressing that you never know what God is up to when somebody shows up at your house and needs hospitality. You know, this is something that Stephanie and I hold very dear to our heart is the value of hospitality. We love hosting people in our homes and we love what we've received in the past from having people in our homes and what they have deposited in us spiritually. But I think personally where we have benefited the most from this expression of hospitality is how much people have shown hospitality to us. We have a traveling ministry. We go all over the world and we don't always stay in hotels. Most of the time we stay in other believers' homes. And being in that position of being able to be welcomed into a home and being cared for and treated in a way that shows us love is a very powerful thing. And on many occasions, we've seen God do amazing things through us and through our connection with people that are hosting us in their homes. And so I would like to think on some measure, we were sometimes like angels to people. But nonetheless, it's such a beautiful illustration of what can happen when we welcome each other in our homes and we show hospitality. And we are such firm believers that the life happens around the table, having meals with people, sharing life with people, living in community, in life-on-life situations, whether that's for a weekend or for a week or for a longer period of time. The showing of hospitality is a very powerful thing where love can take on a practical expression at the deepest level of providing food, shelter, comfort, peaceful environment for people. And it's a beautiful expression of how we can show love for one another. And then the writer goes on to talk about remembering those who are prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourself are also in the body. 
You know, it was obvious that in the first century there were many Christians that were in prison, and many of the apostles were in prison. So the writer encourages his readers to remember those who have been imprisoned for their faith as though you were in prison with them. Again, he's emphasizing the truth of solidarity in the body of Christ with fellow believers, that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So the writer is expressing this important truth of solidarity with each other, that when one person experiences something, it's as though the other person is experiencing it. You know, when our love for people increases to a level that we deeply care for them, when they experience something, we experience it with them. Even those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves are also in the body. He's talking about being in the body of Christ together and that there is this mystical yet very real experience of being united with one another so that what one experiences the other experiences then the writer goes on in verse 4 and he takes up the topic of marriage that one relationship that God has created and ordained to be very, very special. Jesus spoke clearly about it, that God created man and woman, that the man would leave his mother and father and cling to his wife, and the two would become one. Now, we know that in the world in which we live, there have been many perversions of marriage, many perversions of the sexual relationship between man and woman. And this is exactly what the writer's saying. He's not talking about marriage just in a happy, feel-good, emotional level of man and wife being in a good relationship. He speaks specifically about the marriage bed. It is the New Testament way of speaking about the sexual relationship. And he refers to fornicators and adulterers. The words here are communicating anything done outside of God's design for heterosexual relationship between one man and one woman in a faithful relationship with one another. And we know that there are many perversions at many levels. Obviously fornication and adultery, sexual activity outside the marriage is forbidden and it's very destructive to the marriage relationship. But there's other ways that the marriage bed can be defiled as partners take in a selfish attitude in that experience that's supposed to be a selfless others-focused experience. You know, when one partner has their own needs in mind and a selfish attitude to receive only personal gratification and not involved in the marriage act with the other person in mind, then the marriage bed becomes defiled. And so it's a strong encouragement for those of us that are married to always be motivated by the spirit of love, to be motivated out of desire to see the other as more important than ourselves. And so it's a very, very important exhortation that the writer's giving in verse four about marriage. And the last thing he takes up in these verses that we're looking at in this episode is the character of the believer. And one of the most important areas to show character is in our relationship to money. 
And he says, don't be in love with money. Be free from the love of money and be content with what you have. We talk a lot about money in our culture. And a lot of times Christians struggle with the proper attitude about money. Money in of itself is not evil. It's the love of money that can become a character issue. It's an attitude that focuses on the need for money, whether that's that you always want more or whether that you live in fear and a poverty mentality that you will not have enough. The scriptures are clear that God is faithful and he will not desert us. The writer quotes there from the Old Testament and he says, God will not desert you or he will not forsake you. And he's referring specifically to the provision of your needs. And so the writer's saying, don't worry about money. You know, me personally, this has been one of my greatest journeys in my Christian life because of my upbringing, because of the way money was viewed in my home. There were many things that got into my psyche about money, and I connected many unhealthy attitudes to money. And so when I came into my relationship with the Lord, it took a long time for the Lord to help shift my heart about His faithfulness toward me to provide what I needed. And I'm grateful that today I I've learned to be content. I'm not saying I'm completely free in this area because it is a lifelong journey and the scripture talks so much about money. It's such a deep truth for us to grow into a place of total and complete dependence on our Heavenly Father. We know that He has all the resources available and He is able to provide everything we need so we can be content knowing that He is our helper and we don't have to be afraid. So what can man do to me? The writer ends there in verse six. We don't have to worry because God is our provider. So as he moves through this chapter in these first six verses, he highlights these beautiful truths as a result of walking in love for one another. We can show hospitality. We can remember those who are being imprisoned or ill-treated for their faith and our marriage relationship can be honoring to the Lord and we can be free from the love of money and be content with what we have. So be strong and courageous and love Jesus more.